Welcome to Season 5 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, refreshing and captivating interviews with sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Mike Greenberg to Ryan Dempster, Dan McNeil to Sarah Kustak, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories some you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow or subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. They can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. And by BetUS, America's favorite sports book. Check them out at BetUS.com. This week, we feature the very versatile and popular play-by-play voice, Kenny Albert. I've worked with over 250 color analysts in the various sports, and I do keep a list. And, and many of them I've only worked one game with, and a number of them I've worked for over 10 years. So it really runs the gamut. But uh, Eddie's one of my favorite people. Uh, watched him during his playing career. Uh, have had the great fortune to work with him now for a number of years. And we did the Stanley Cup final together. Like father, like son, you bet, and then some. Kenny Albert has established himself as one of the premier play-by-play men in the business and with a schedule that has people wondering if he needs an eighth day of the week. Whether it's the NHL, NBA, NFL, or Major League Baseball, Albert is seemingly everywhere while also being the voice of the New York Rangers, something his rather famous father did. And there's so much more, it just might make your head spin. So, Kenny Albert. Tell me a story I don't know. Well, first of all, hi, George. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, There are two stories you might not know. One is sports-related. One is not. Um, I'll start with the the athletic feat first. Um, I I went to New York University. I was a freshman in uh, 1986, and I had played high school hockey, uh, club hockey. I wasn't very good. I was probably a third-line winger. And a fellow student, my freshman year in college, decided to start a club hockey team at New York University. And I didn't score many goals, George, but I scored the first. So somewhat of an athletic feat you might not have known about. Going back 18 years prior to that, uh, I was born in February 1968, three months premature. I was one pound, 15 ounces uh, when I was born, and I spent the first two and a half months of my life in an incubator in Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. And I actually went down to one eight, one pound, eight ounces Mm. after I was born. So those are two stories you may not have known. Wow. Touch and go with that one. No, I would have to say in Wikipedia, you scoring the first goal that was not there. And this one, no, I didn't know, but you made it through. Made it through, um, lived in the hospital for the first two and a half months. And wow. Uh, went home in April, and I guess the rest is history. That's amazing. You know, there have been a number of father and son combos in sports broadcasting history. You're well aware. Chip and Skip Carey come to mind, Joe and Jack Buck. But in the case of the Alberts, we're not just talking about your dad, Marv. There were uncles, Steve and Al, both very accomplished play by play men. It was almost as if you were destined to be an announcer. Well, I always joke, George, that family holidays, birthdays, other get-togethers when I was growing up, it felt like the first all-sports radio station (laughs) because uncles would come over to the house, Steve and Al, and they were doing play-by-play for various teams and networks. And 
I would just sit at the table and soak in all the stories. I would listen to the various anecdotes about their careers and the teams and the players and the coaches that they were around. I received a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five or six from my parents. And it was a toy tape recorder. And I started announcing games uh, into the recorder in my bedroom. I would set up the bedroom like a radio or TV studio. I would have my desk and then the bed in the middle and the TV on the other side. And um, it's really all I ever wanted to do. You know, you mentioned the bucks and the carries and, you know, I know plenty of people whose parents were doctors or lawyers who also went into the family business, but I guess growing up around it, uh, you do have a little bit of a head start. I would take the tape recorder to games at Madison Square Garden or Shea Stadium in my teenage years. And really my first big break when I was in high school, I was writing for the school paper and for the town newspaper covering sports and a, a, a real small cable station, Cox Cable on Long Island, happened to come to my school to film a girls basketball game. They had a small production band. They had two cameras and that was it, no announcers. And I volunteered. And I spoke to the producer the next day uh, after working this game. He clipped a microphone onto my shirt and I broadcasted the girls basketball game. Uh, spoke to him on the phone the next day and, and he hired me. Um, there was no pay involved, but I didn't care. I just wanted the experience. And over the next three years in high school, I did play-by-play -play for at least 75 or 100 uh, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, lacrosse, you name it. And I would bring friends along as color commentators, and it was the most <laughs> unbelievable experience. You know, these days, high school and college kids start early. Uh, back then, there were no opportunities until you got to college. So I felt I had a three-year start on most other people my age who wanted to do play-by-play. -play. I remember doing this interview with Charlie Steiner, who, as most people know by now, broadcast the 2020 World Series for the Dodgers from his living room. But as a six-year-old, he did the same thing while growing up as a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. You know, he was doing the games from his living room then. What a correlation. Right, and I think a lot of us, like Charlie, over the last year and a half, have uh, sort of been taken back to our childhood uh, because I've worked probably 50 or 60 events off television monitors since the pandemic uh, started, you know, back in March of 2020. I worked uh, the Summer Olympics, uh, volleyball and some baseball, calling those games off monitors from Stanford, Connecticut. So it really did bring back memories of, of watching sporting events on, on small television screens and uh, doing play-by-play. I have to tell you, I have such admiration for your dad, whom I started working stats for back in 1979, who, and by the way, appears on my voicemail in a message that was recorded, I hate to say this, in 1986. Uh, he <laughs> clearly went out in style during the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Kenny, he sounded as if he was absolutely on top of his game. The number five seed, Atlanta Hawks facing the fourth seed, New York Knicks with the Hawks in front. Three games to one. Atlanta could end it all here tonight with a win, while the Knicks hope to extend to a game six back in Atlanta. Hi, everybody. I'm Marv Albert, along with Hall of Famer Reggie Miller, who's had a, a few eventful nights here. Yes, few. At Madison Square Garden. You know, I, I never thought he would utter the word retirement, never thought he would actually retire. But so he turned 80, actually, before he did his last game. And uh, I think he went out by his own choice. Um, we, we've seen it with Dick Stockton and Doc Emmerich and Vince Scully. Uh, they've all retired when they still have uh, a lot of time and life to live. So 
Uh, great that he was able to make the, the choice on his own. I never thought he would. I thought he would work forever, but he seems really happy and content with his decision. What's the most important thing you learned from him? Preparation, no doubt about it. Hmm. That's the number one thing. When I talk to um, college and high school students, that's what I emphasize. I remember as a youngster, whether we were at home or I was traveling with him, I did a lot of stats for him as well. Uh, that's the number one thing that stood out was the preparation and the amount of time that goes into each and every broadcast. And he would treat each broadcast, and I feel the same way, uh, like it's the most important game you've ever done. Um, you know, I remember the old Joe DiMaggio quote about, uh, you know, somebody might be watching me play today who's never seen me play before, so I have to give it my all and give it my best. And uh, the preparation was definitely the number one thing that I learned uh, by watching him through the years. Did you ever work with Marv on the air? A, a couple of times, um, sort of, uh, you know, a couple of gimmicks early on when I was in college. Um, he came to NYU and, and did a basketball game with us, with myself and some of the other students. I think we did play-by-play -play and he did color. In my early days with the Rangers, he was still doing some of the games. He would do about 15 games a year. And Sal Redlight Messina, the longtime color analyst, lost his voice during a playoff game. So I was there to do the pre and the post game show. So I stepped in and we worked wow. together on that one. And then uh, when he was doing play by play for Westwood one for Monday night football, um, I worked as the sideline reporter two or three times. So I was down on the field. He was up in the booth with Boomer Esiason. So there were a couple of occasions where we, where we did work together through the years, but since we're both play by play announcers, that opportunity really does not lend itself very often for two play by play guys to work together. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. We return with Kenny Albert on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I can't imagine what it was like going to Rangers games, Knicks games as a kid, but at 14, you made a quantum leap in your burgeoning career, becoming the youngest statistician for the Rangers. Tell me a story. I don't know how that transpired. Well, it was it was working with, with my father and Sal Messina when they were doing the Rangers radio together, so... Um, I would do the stats. So I was the statistician for the radio broadcasts um, at a young age. And then I would continue to do stats for him uh, with the Knicks during my collegiate years. I was in New York going to school. And then um, I started working professionally in 1990 doing play-by-play -play for the Baltimore Skipjacks of the American Hockey League. 
And after my second season, I was hired to work Washington Capitals games on home team sports. But I always joke, I came out of retirement as a statistician to work with him, uh, along with Mike Fratello for the Dream Team games in 1992. So although I was already broadcasting professionally, I had a front row seat keeping stats for NBC in Barcelona uh, for all the games involving the Dream Team. You know, as a kid growing up, your friends must have loved you. They got to go to a lot of games. <laughs> Engineers at Knicks, and uh, we had a great time. And, and like I said, I brought a lot of them along as – as color analysts on Cox Cable, but uh, definitely spent a lot of time with friends at Madison Square Garden and Shea Stadium and some of the other sporting venues in New York. I want to go back to your dad one last time here. His name carries a lot of weight, yet if you didn't have the talent, Kenny, you wouldn't be here. Did you think you had more to prove than others because of the Albert name? In other words, was it ever a stigma? No, never. Um, I felt like there were definitely some doors open and I had the opportunity to meet people and hang around the press boxes and the broadcast booths as a youngster. But um, during those years in high school, working the Cox cable games and then broadcasting basketball at NYU. And I had sort of an internship with the New York Islanders radio network. And I was able to do some pre and post game shows and um, actually called four games during my senior year in college. So yes, I, I did have some of those opportunities because um, I was able to hang around and had access to those games, but I also felt like uh, you're not going to get hired and you're not going to keep a job if you can't do the job. So I felt that one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was getting hired in Baltimore and moving down to Maryland. I lived in the state of Maryland for five years and I was able to sort of create my own identity. And like I said, you might use some of those open doors to get hired for the first job, but after that, you have to do it on your own and prove yourself and, and do the work uh, in order to get that next job and the next job after that. And uh, again, when I look back on those five years, I would not trade in my years in the minor leagues for anything, uh, working 160 games on radio, many of them with no color analysts, uh, was such invaluable experience. And then the three years with the Washington Capitals as well, uh, but never felt there was any kind of stigma and again, by, by moving out of the area and sort of gaining my own identity uh, went a long way back in, in the early 90s from 1990 through 1995. You are now in your second season as the lead voice of the NHL and first with TNT after replacing the legendary Doc Emmerich who retired and whom I interviewed for this podcast. And what a delightful gentleman he is. Those aren't exactly shoes anyone would want to fill, but you've done so seamlessly and now with the ever-popular analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks, Eddie Olchek, also a guest on this podcast. So tell me a story I don't know, what it's like to work with Eddie, and have you cashed in on any of his track tips? <laughs> Eddie uh, certainly does enjoy sharing his tips at the track. Um, first of all, Doc Emmerich, uh, who you know, George, is uh, you know the greatest hockey broadcaster, in my opinion, uh, in North America in history. Um, I, I refer to him as the Vince Scully of hockey. With 70 seconds separating these teams from another overtime. Hasn't happened yet, though. Here's one thrown by Pro Leaks. It's blocked away by Rask. Help to the back. Oh, do you shot deflected? Scramble! They score! Bowling! Three to two with less than a minute to go! I knew Doc back in the late 80s when he was filling in on Rangers radio broadcast, and I did stats for him on a number of occasions. 
just a wonderful gentleman. Um, I still keep in touch with Doc. And uh, like you said, certainly big shoes to fill. He worked for 15 years with Eddie, who's one of my favorite analysts uh, that I've ever worked with. Here's Strowman across the line for top. I've worked with over 250 color analysts in the various sports and I do keep a list and, and many of them I've only worked one game with and a number of them I've worked for over 10 years. So it really runs the gamut, but uh, Eddie's one of my favorite people uh, watched him during his playing career. Uh, have had the great fortune to work with him now for a number of years. And we did the Stanley cup final together. Andre Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning have won their second straight Stanley Cup. For Eddie Olchek, Brian Boucher, and our entire crew, I'm Kenny Albert, so long from Tampa. A story that you, you didn't know about Eddie, it, it involves me as well. <laughs> when I was growing up on Long Island, I was a huge hockey fan. I played hockey. I wanted to broadcast hockey. And in 1984, uh, when Eddie was 17 years old and played on the U.S. Olympic team, um, I was a big autograph collector back then as a kid. And for some reason, I decided to write a letter to one of the players on the U.S. Olympic team in, in late 1983, early 84. And somehow I picked Eddie Olchek and he wrote back and I still have the autograph picture. I was 16. Eddie was 17. And in 1984, he actually sent me an autograph picture from the 1984 uh, U.S. Olympic team. And then, uh, what, 30, 37 years later, we wind up broadcasting the Stanley Cup final together. Do you realize how much that would fetch on eBay? Uh, you know what? <laughs> One of my most prized possessions. Yeah. Me, so I'm not, I'm not sure I'm giving it up, that yeah. time, but uh, I'm sure it would. You just mentioned you've worked with 250 analysts. What's the key to making that work? Have there been times where there was no chemistry or... Is just that's the way it is. Not really. I, I enjoyed just about each and every one of them. Um, you know, I'm looking up on my wall here in my home office and I have pictures with Jim Palmer and Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw and Tim McCarver. Uh, those are just some of the gentlemen that I've had the opportunity to work with uh, through the years um, in football, 10 years with Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa work games along the way with Troy Aikman and Joe Namath and uh, Dan Fouts and, and Terrell Davis, uh, you know, the list is too long to name everybody, but Rondé Barber, one of my favorites. And I work now with Jonathan Vilma, who did a terrific job during his rookie season. Um, I enjoy each and every one of them. And, you know, I feel like I'm the traffic cop as the play-by-play -play announcer. I'm there to set up the play, call the play, give background information, statistics, weave in some stories, but the viewers or the listeners really want to hear from the analysts, the former players, the former coaches, they're the experts. So, I try to set them up. Um, I do research on their careers the first time I work with them uh, because you want to know uh, some of the personal stories and maybe they played with or were coached by some of the individuals involved in that particular broadcast. So one of the most unique and, and fun parts, I think, of being a play-by-play -play broadcaster is getting to work with the various color analysts in the different sports. <laughs>
Major League Baseball is underway and BetUS is your home for every game, plus the NBA and NHL playoffs and the PGA Tour. Sign up now and first-time bettors will get a 125% bonus with our promo code STORY22. That's STORY22. Future odds, live betting, and great parlay plays also await you at BetUS. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Go to BetUS.com and remember our code, STORY22. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Locally, you've worked uh, with Eddie and A.J. Persinski, Mark Grace, Jeff Torborg, uh, to mention a few, and Gene Ubriaco, and in the case of Ubriaco, who is, of course, a member of the Blackhawks, an executive with the Chicago Wolves, he was your analyst during your first job, as you mentioned, with the Baltimore Skipjacks. Tell me a story about that. So I had known of Gene from his playing days, and then he coached the Pittsburgh Penguins in the late 80s. I was hired by the Baltimore Skipjacks in June of 1990. I moved down to Baltimore. Uh we had a couple of preseason games that September and I'm in the broadcast booth, which was sort of an overhang perch at the old Baltimore arena. It was called the Baltimore civic center before that. It's where the Baltimore bullets played before they moved down to Landover, Maryland and became the Washington bullets and now the Washington wizards. Uh, so the arena had a long history. So I'm in my broadcast booth and a gentleman comes over and taps me on the shoulder at the preseason game. And it's Gene Ubriaco. And I had never met Gene before, and he introduces himself, and I knew who he was. He had just coached Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm 22 years old, getting ready to do a rehearsal game. And Gene says to me, he says, I just wanted to say hello. I'm living back in the area. He had coached in Baltimore prior to his Pittsburgh stint, and his kids were in high school at the time, and they were real good athletes, lacrosse players. So Gene was living back in the area, and he volunteered. He said, hey, if you ever need a color analyst, I'll, I'll be at most of the home games anyway. So uh, it was tremendous. Gene, again, didn't get paid, just did it because he loved the sport of hockey and, and was at the games and wanted to hang around. So he did color with me on most of the home games. Uh, the, our first away game and my first game with the Skipjacks was in Hershey, Pennsylvania in October 1990, the old Hershey Park Arena where Will Chamberlain scored 100 points back mm. in 1962. So Gene comes up, meets me in Hershey, 
we're in this small radio booth in the middle of the crowd. And at that level, the play-by-play announcer is also the engineer. So I had to set up all the equipment and I'm a little technologically challenged. That's not my forte. And I'm nervous. I want to make sure we get on the air. It's my first game. I just got hired. Call your station. You're off the air. So here, here it is my first game. We're knocked off the air. It turns out either Gene or myself, I'm not sure which one of us kicked out the phone cord underneath mm. the desk uh, that was uh, transmitting our signal back to Baltimore to the radio station. So uh, we got it fixed pretty quickly, but Gene's a true gentleman. I, I enjoy seeing him uh, on occasion when I'm at the United center for a Blackhawks game and, and Gene is up in the press box. So just a wonderful family, uh, a great guy. And I had so much fun with Gene as really my first uh, professional color analyst in the sport of hockey. You've done many games involving all major teams here in Chicago, but there was this one rather ominous note that I read, and I wonder if we should take it with a grain of salt. It says, Kenny Albert, he's known to Chicago sports fans as the kiss of death to some of their teams. (laughs) What did you do wrong? That's a good question, George. I've seen that on social media. Um, you know how fans are, right? Everybody's so provincial rooting for their teams. And first of all, Chicago is one of my favorite cities in North America. I, I absolutely love each and every trip to Chicago. Uh, great sports venues, uh, tremendous restaurants, hotels. I, I just love it. Uh, if you ask my wife, one of my favorite cities to go to is Chicago. So I have nothing but good things to say about the city. Um, I've called you know numerous Bears games now for 27 years. Well, Edgar Bennett carried the ball twice during the Bears' first series, and he has been replaced, as we told you would be the case, by the rookie out of Penn State, Curtis Enos. The Bears start from their own nine-yard line. This is Enos on first down, big hole, Edgar Bennett across the 20-yard line. Blackhawks games for 28 years. Also, nice stick handling. Out to Jomerson, shoots the puck, it's save, rebound, score! the occasional Bulls game when I fill in on Knicks broadcasts, uh, many, many games uh, involving both the Cubs and the White Sox. Cubs and White Sox fans alike filing into Wrigley Field on a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Chicago. One handshake worth a million words before yesterday's game. Michael Barrett and A.J. Pierzynski getting together in the Wrigley outfield. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Major League Baseball on Fox. I'm Kenny Albert, along with Lou Pinella. I would venture to guess that if I tallied up my record, it's over 500 with the Chicago teams. Um, I worked a Bears playoff game. They beat Seattle. I did that game on Fox. Hey, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I I guess the fans only remember the the losses, right? But, uh, no, the the Chicago fans are so passionate. I love them. I love the city and – there, there really are not a lot of places that I would rather visit in North America. Hey, listen, you you fall into the same trap as Joe Buck, whom Chicago sports fans are not enamored of. And of course, he's behind the mic for the Cubs winning the World Series and the White Sox winning the World Series. You can't win for losing. You know, I remember hearing quotes, reading quotes from Bob Costas and Al Michaels and, and even Joe Buck when they were doing World Series and Super Bowls, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, before the internet, they would get letters 500 letters from each city complaining about their broadcast. And they both said, 
that's how we knew we were doing a good job if the complaints were split right down the middle. You've traveled the world. You've witnessed five Olympic Games. So tell me a story I don't know about those experiences and the countries you worked in. The story regarding my first Olympic Games uh, as a broadcaster, 2002 in Salt Lake calling men's and women's hockey. Uh, George, you referred to Doc Emmerich earlier. And Doc and his wife, Joyce, on their farm, they, they, they own horses, they own dogs, and they do such a tremendous job uh, with, with animals and rescuing animals, and, and they have other pets as well. And one of Doc's dogs uh, got sick about a week before the Salt Lake Olympics in 2002, and Doc decided to stay home with, with his wife, Joyce, and with the sick dog. And believe it or not, that is how I wound up broadcasting my first Olympic Games. Uh, in Salt Lake. And if not for that circumstance, I might not have worked any other Olympics after that. So um, it's a crazy story, but in the world of broadcasting, uh, you know, you hear stories like that once in a while on how people got the first opportunity. Um, Torino, 2006, Vancouver, 2010, uh, Sochi, 2014, my only trip to Russia, Pyeongchang, South Korea. I also worked the Summer Olympics in Rio. All unbelievable experiences, but so much fun to be a part of it. And during all of the Olympics I've worked, just such an honor uh, to be there, to call the women's hockey team winning gold in 2018. And Kendall Coyne Schofield, a native of Chicago, uh, one of the uh, key members, of course, on that team. Gold medalists and Olympic champions, United States of America. Watching her celebrate on the ice along with her husband, Michael, who's played in the NFL for a number of years. Those are memories that I'll never forget. So uh, whether it was filling in for Doc in 2002 or having the opportunity to work in Russia in 2014, um, South Korea in 2018, all just unbelievable experiences. And you've also done a Super Bowl, number 46, though you did it with an international audience and with a very, very good analyst in Joe Theismann. Right. That was the world feed, uh, which I had the opportunity to do that one year in Indianapolis in 2012, Giants and Patriots. That was a lot of fun. It was more like a radio broadcast. We were never on camera and we were, we were high up in, uh, in the dome in Indy uh, working in, in one of the radio booths, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, that was the second Giants Patriots Super Bowl in that four year stretch. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. 
It's interesting to note that you turned 54 earlier this year, and you're actually writing your memoir. And even more interesting and historic, you're the only current broadcaster calling uh, the play-by-play -play of all four major sports, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And in 2009, Kenny, you achieved what really seemingly is the unachievable, which is working all four of those sports in four days. So, of course, it leads me to my next question. What's the most electric sports event you ever witnessed? You know, there, there are probably a number of events on that list, George. Um, I think back to the Toronto-Texas playoff game in 2015, the Jose Bautista home run. Driving in the tie run on a fielder's choice. After the Rangers took the lead in bizarre fashion in the top half. It was a crazy seventh inning uh, with all kinds of stuff going on and electricity in the building. So um, I was calling that one for Fox. Um, I was the sideline reporter for the Yankee Red Sox uh, American League Championship Series in both 2003 and 04. I was right down on the field basically for those games. Um, in hockey, calling Stanley Cup final games, many occasions, including the Rangers winning the Cup in uh, 2000 in, in 94 for the first time in 54 years. Um, any hockey playoff game at the United center, I'd have to put right up on there on the list, Jim Cornelison with the national anthem, mm. you know, you could just feel your spine tingle, the chills you get each and every time. Being in the building for those dream team games back in 92, the U.S. Olympic women's hockey team, as I mentioned, um, five divisional playoff games in the NFL. The one that really stands out on top of the list was a 49ers Saints game in 2012. Uh, Drew Brees and Alex Smith going back and forth. It was an unbelievable game. And I'm sure I'm leaving out, uh, you know, many that I've either been at, you know, working or just in the stands. Uh, the Sidney Crosby overtime goal to win the gold medal in 2010. Oh, I, yeah. I wasn't working that game, but I was oh. sitting I was sitting right behind Doc and Eddie. So I was in the building for that one as well. Well, that counts, by the way. That definitely counts, even if you weren't working the game. As if you have time in your busy, busy life, you also have two daughters. This has to be a juggling act. You know, it is. And I grew up in a similar situation with my father, you know, having a crazy work schedule and travel schedule. So so many of my memories were tagging along, going on trips, going with him to WNBC or Madison Square Garden in New York. Um, I really enjoyed my schedule uh, when, when my girls were younger. Even though I was away a lot on weekends and at night, I felt like I was around during the day for a lot of things that many parents miss because they're sitting in an office uh, from nine to five, Monday through Friday. So I was able to drive to school, pick up from school, go to the weekday activities. So um, there's give and take and, uh, my daughters now are 21 and 18 and one just finished college and one starting college in in a couple of days. So, um, they were used to it right from a young age. And again, while I did miss a lot of the weekend and nighttime activities, I felt like I did, uh, get to do so much, uh, when I was around and, uh, you know, during some off time in the summers and they would come along on trips. Uh, to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii, for example, back when they were real young, 
Uh, they were at that Super Bowl in Indianapolis. They were big New York Ranger fans. They would come to a lot of hockey games. So um, my wife was always great about it right from the start. She got used to my schedule, uh, you know, right, right during the time that we first met and then were engaged in 1995 and married in 96. And we always joke, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary, but I've only been around for about 12 or 13 of those years. If you add up all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering if your daughter's going to carry the Albert name into the broadcast booth. Cause it seems like everyone else has. Well, my, my older daughter, Amanda graduated from Syracuse, but she's mm. interested in behind the scenes work, uh, production work. And she did a terrific job uh, during the Olympics in Stanford, uh, working as a production assistant, editing highlights for a daily digital wrap up show for three weeks, working the midnight to 12 noon shift. And uh, she's currently looking for jobs, applying for some jobs in the same field in production and in digital media, social media, editing highlights. That's what she enjoys. What haven't you done that you would like to do? You know, that's a great question, George. I've been real fortunate um, to call uh, seven Olympics now, uh, Stanley Cup final, one on TV, and seven or eight on radio and moving forward uh, every other year. I'll have the Stanley Cup on television with Turner. Um, I've called, like you said, the Super Bowl on international uh, television, the world feed. Uh, baseball playoff games, NBA playoff games. You know, I think the goal, I mean, I love, I never feel like I'm going to work, even though there's so much travel and so much work that goes into it. Um, I'm very fortunate, as I'm sure you are as well. Um, I love my job each and every day, never feel like I'm working. There's so much preparation that goes into it, but that's fun work. You know, it's not like I'm studying for a physics or a chemistry exam. It's, it's watching games and reading about sports and going to practices and talking to players and coaches. So, you know, I think we all strive to work those big events, uh, whether it's the Stanley cup or the super bowl or playoff games and in, in the various sports, but I've also really enjoyed the variety. Uh, my schedule you referenced earlier, it sort of fits together like a jigsaw puzzle and uh, it, it's great. There's nothing, nothing that I'd rather be doing. I asked this final question to all my guests, but I have a feeling I know the answer. If not for sports broadcasting, what would you have been? I don't know. I, 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 I probably would have been a sports writer or a newspaper reporter. Um, I did a lot of writing in high school and college. But if you're counting that in the same communication slash journalism category, if the question is, if you didn't work in communications or journalism, what would you be doing? And, and the answer to that is, I have no idea. <laughs> but if it wasn't broadcasting, it would be something in uh, you know, in the, in the newspaper field, writing, reporting, something along those lines. Well, this has truly been a kick. First interviewing your dad and now you. Thank you, Kenny Albert, for telling me a story I don't know. Thanks, George. Really appreciate it. My great thanks to NBC Sports, Fox Sports, and TNT for those fabulous highlights. My thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for being a guiding force behind his podcast, Will Hatzel for his expert editing and mixing, and Nick Tochi for our excellent graphics. And to our wonderful sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, Vienna Beef, and BetUS for their significant contributions. Tune in next week for another episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. 
save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 